You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode 65. On last week's episode, we talked to Chris Hogan about his new book, The Everyday Millionaires. In that episode, we discussed what they did in their research to study these 10,000 millionaires and the top three professions that they found in their research. So if you're interested in that, go check out that episode. Next week's episode will be with Mark. And Mark has a net worth of $1.7 million. He's got a $400,000 paid-for house. He's got about a million invested with Vanguard. That's both in retirement accounts and non-retirement accounts. He's got about 200k in, in cash and about another 100k in, in some other investments, including a REIT. And Mark has an interesting story. He actually builds and sells websites. So we get into that with him and discuss how his approach is to building a website and what industry he chooses and how he goes about selling those. It'll be an interesting episode coming up next week. On today's episode, we have a discussion with Joe from Stacking Benjamins. We discuss with Joe about the state of personal finance, all the options that you have available to you today, such as a 401k, Roth IRAs, Roth 401ks, HSAs, and various investments and investment accounts. We also discussed with him about using a personal financial advisor. Joe used to be a a financial advisor and worked in that industry for many, many years. So we discussed with him about that, who needs one, who is it beneficial for, and several other things related to the Stacking Benjamin podcast. If you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We'll set up a time and uh, get something scheduled. Also, if you're enjoying the show, we'd appreciate if you'd leave it a review on iTunes for us. Helps us grow the show and, and get the word out. Also, we've got several investment opportunities in the multifamily space. If you're interested and you're an accredited investor, send us an email at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com and we'll get on a call with you and uh, further those discussions. So without further ado, let's get in right into the episode with Joe from Stacking Benjamins. Joe, do you want to just kind of give our listeners a little bit about you and a little bit about the shows that you uh, that you run and the podcast that you run? Absolutely. But first, I can't believe I'm here with you guys. This is like the pinnacle of my career. Finally made it. So thank you very much. <laughs> That's how we feel, man. That's how we feel, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, so I was a financial planner for 16 years. I also did media for American Express and Ameriprise, which was the company that I was with at the time. And uh, about 10 years ago, when I was 40, I sold my company. We, I was a franchise, so I sold my business. I had a mentor who told me, he said uh, that he had, quote, other mountains to climb and he was going to go do other things. He didn't really know what the other things were because he spent so much time working on this job. And as he said, he liked it and he didn't love it. And he wrote this note to me and, and a few other people that were mentees of his. And he was actually younger than me, by the way. He was, I think, 36 and I was 40. And I was, I thought about that. And I thought about the fact that unless, you know, Shirley MacLaine's right, the woman that thinks that we're all reincarnated, the actress, unless she's right, I got one shot to do this. And I was in the same boat, really liked working with people, thought it was 
fun and interesting. But I also knew that I had other mountains to climb. So I sold my business and pursued other stuff, which ultimately became the Stacking Benjamins podcast. But, uh, but I'll tell you what's cool. My mentor back then, Chris, he actually did have other mountains to climb. He climbed Mount Everest twice after that. Wow. Now he, he runs an adventure travel company. And believe me, it's not because he has to. It's because it's what he loves to do, which is really cool. That's cool. It's awesome. So that's us. I'm sorry. But the, 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 the podcast, Stacking Benjamins, really the goal of the show, guys, is to challenge people's idea that a financial discussion has to be deep and thoughtful. I don't think it, I don't think it has to be deep and thoughtful. And I think sometimes we scare a lot of people that aren't in this community with these deep and thoughtful discussions. Uh, sometimes it can be really light. I think the light discussions lead to the deep discussions. I think we need to have the deep talks. I think we need to go in the weeds, but I think to get you there, we have to have a show like the tonight show where you just have a lot of different ideas, maybe have some fun, hopefully learn something. Maybe you don't, but at least you had a good time talking about it. And that leads people down the path to hopefully better things with their money. And that's what Stacking Benjamins is meant to do. Yeah. So where did the inspiration come to, to start the Stacking Benjamins show? <laughs> I haven't told you, I, did, I haven't told you, Jace, that story. No, <laughs> no, I haven't. Okay. So people told me, I've been listening to podcasts since the beginning. I'm a runner and I used to, even before the days of the iPod, I, I had this little uh, compact thing with a, with a hard disk in it. And I take it down to my computer and spend half the day filling it with one podcast. Like this is, this is seriously, there's maybe 150 podcasts out there. And, and by the way, it was a board game podcast that I like to listen to about how different board games are made. And so I, yeah, I'm a nerd. That's a, that's a true insight right there. Oh, oh it is. It is awesome. You got it here first. The, the, so, uh, it would finally download like an hour long podcast took forever and I go on a run or I'd go mow my lawn and people told me then they're like, you should do one of those. I'm like, no, I have, I have nothing to say. I, I, I just, there's nothing that I want to say that Dave Ramsey's not saying or Susie Orman or David Bach or one of these people. And then one day I mow my lawn and, and my little player was dead. So I have one of these portable radio things on and I'm listening to the show car talk and car talk. It was an NPR show that was on for a long time. These guys click and clack really popular show. And it's all about cars and people call in and they just have this great time. These brothers, all of a sudden I realize I'm having a blast and I'm not learning crap about a car. I'm learning nothing about cars. <laughs> and I love this show. And I thought there is no show at the time. There's no show doing this with money where they're just enveloping people in the culture, but they're not teaching anything. And then I said, well, I can do that. That, that is me. It's totally me. And I like the late night shows like the tonight show. You know, I love, I love uh, guys like Jimmy Fallon watching stuff like that. So we tried to set out to do that. That's awesome. So let's, let's dig into a little bit of your, your background here. You start as a financial advisor and then you've gone on to make this massive audience on the Stacking Benjamin show. And also you've got another show, uh, Money in the Morning. Is that correct? That you started this year? Yes. Yes. Yeah, we do. Uh, you know, we have so much material. We have there's so many headlines and people don't know what to think about it. Now that people know I do this, my friends will ask me, they're like, hey, I saw this on the news. What does it mean? Like when earnings reports come out or the Fed meets. Like the Fed meets, well, what the hell does that mean to me? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I take these headlines, break them down, 
And the magic of that show, it's a little different, is we do it in front of a live Facebook audience. So it's an audio podcast. You can listen to it right where you're listening uh, to your show here. But we do it live on video. So we have a, quote, studio audience that hangs out with me. And uh, sometimes I say just absolutely stupid stuff because it's live. And it's it's unnerving and lots of fun at the same time. And, and when do you usually do that? What time of day? You know, what's funny. We don't have a schedule and everybody's asked me for a schedule. I do it when I have time. So if people sign up for our Facebook group or well, not our Facebook group, excuse me, our page, it's facebook.com forward slash I stack Benjamins. You'll just get a notification if you're hanging out on Facebook. Hey, money in the morning is about to go live. And it's cool because we'll have people that say, oh, I finally caught a live show. It's like catching a leprechaun, you know, <laughs> that's awesome. In my, in my head, that's what it is. It's catching a leprechaun. In their head, it's like, oh, I finally found out the loser's live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you're going to get some people fired because they're going to be sitting at work. And I got to get to the show. And that would be a hilarious story. That's awesome. <laughs> and, and an expensive lesson for them, Clark. Yeah. So, so let's get into the financial advisory aspect of, of people's financial plan. When does somebody need one? When is a good time to, to hire a financial advisor? And how do you go about hiring somebody? I mean, there's so many options out there and there's so much distraction. You got all these robo advisors, financial advisors, so many companies. How do you know? You know, when you feel like you want your opinion challenged on something. Um, and this gets into a deeper discussion about what an advisor is and what an advisor isn't. Cause I'll read a lot online or we'll get letters from people that they, they don't like financial advisors because they interviewed a couple and they were horrible. And man, there's a lot of bad advisors out there. There's a lot of bad house painters out there. There's a bunch of crappy workout fitness people out there. The key is to find the right one. And here's what you're looking for. I don't think I'm looking for somebody who uh, sells stocks and bonds and insurance and all that crap. I don't even know if I'm looking for somebody who's licensed. If you want to, you know, my frank opinion, I think you're looking for someone who I look at the world as the glass half full. They look at the world glass half empty and they protect my blind side. So however I look at the world, I want to have advisors in my corner who look at the world differently that I respect. And I know they have my back. I mean, I love for me, I love these cooking shows like Gordon Ramsay, where he goes into these restaurants. And in the beginning, it seems like he's a total jerk and people hate him. But about halfway through the show, the, it's a love fest of, you know, I'm ripping you because I love you. We had that with our podcast with Stacking Benjamins, where if we didn't have a couple alpha listeners who listened to every show and just ripped them, and I knew that they loved me and they were on my team and they just wanted the show to be better. If I hadn't had them, the show wouldn't be, it wouldn't be where it is today. So I think, I think we all kind of need that in our corner. We need somebody who says, Hey, you know, you know what, Clark, you're screwing this up. You know what, Jace, you could probably do this better. And if you respect them and you listen to them, I think that's great. So I don't like, so I guess to, to funnel that down to Joe, how do I quantify that? I don't want somebody who sells products or who looks at investments. I want somebody who looks at my life holistically and can plug in the things that I'm trying to do personally. And maybe they don't know that exact thing, but they know where I might be stepping in it. That's, that's who I'm looking for, which also then leads to this. You mentioned earlier, robo advisors, robo advisors aren't advisors at all. Then like based on what I just defined, a robo advisor can't do that because they don't know you. A robo advisor could be a really cool tool. And I'm not saying not to have one. But I'm just saying my definition of what an advisor is, 
and what a robo-advisor does are two totally different things. Joe, this is the most serious we've ever seen you. Like out of the basement, no hidden segments, like all, all these, all these like special guests, you know. Like, what hidden segments? I don't know what you're talking about. Hold on, hold on a second. Oh yeah, you don't call it that. Sorry. Oh, easy. The, the dessert. Yeah, easy. <laughs> so, so let's just say, you know, if someone wants to start investing, where should they start? Do they start with the 401k? Do they start with, you know, Dave Ramsey has the emergency fund? Do they yeah. start with the Roth IRA because it's tax advantage? I mean, they get the employer match. What, what's your opinion? Kind of the you got like the. Yeah. The PEMDAS, you know, and equations and math. So, like, what's that for personal finance? I, I love uh, Stephen Covey. And if people haven't read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, you really need to start there because you have to start with the end in mind because it, everything depends on, on, on where you're going. We talked earlier and you guys had a guest on recently talking about, I didn't get here because I put money in a 401k. We have James Altucher saying, don't put money in a 401k, you know, for a certain percentage of the population, that's great. Cause you're, you're on this rocket ship headed to entrepreneur land. And if you're going to make your money as an entrepreneur, Money in your 401k is locked in a place that you can't get it. So it's the worst place to have cash. But for somebody who loves their job as a nurse at the hospital and they want to have a life well worked until they're maybe in early retirement at 55, which in our community, you know, there's people who scoff at 55, but in the real world, 55 is an awesome place to retire. But if you want to retire at 55, a 401k is the perfect place to start. So I think if you start with the end in mind and then you say what fits that, I think it's a better way to go. Here's, here's, here's the problem I see people run into, especially people starting out. They freak out because there's this huge range of investment options. And the question we get, and I'm sure you guys get all the time is, I don't know where to begin. I've got this. I've, I've got my HSA. I got my 401k. I mean, you talked about a lot of these, Clark. I've got mutual funds. I got ETFs. I could do individual stocks. I could be an entrepreneur. I could be, and we get so caught up in all these things we could be, we don't do anything. So what we got to do first is narrow the field. I know where I want to go. And then I start checking the boxes of what fits that. And what's cool is when I start there, I take this huge field of opportunities and it becomes this much smaller number of opportunities that I need to figure out how they work because uh, only a few things will get you there. But definitely for somebody just just starting out, you have to start out with the basics because your, your foundation has to be solid. So start off by getting your debt paid down or at least have a debt strategy. Make sure you have your emergency fund in place. Even more important, if you're going to choose the entrepreneurship route. So if you're going to be somebody that starts businesses, you have to have a solid foundation because that business is going to cost you more than you think it's going to. Maybe two to three times more than you think it's going to going to take. And then beyond that, that's when you start putting money in a place where it'll be available when you need it. So if you're that nurse at the hospital, 401k is a fine choice. If you're an entrepreneur, you need to start building money for that first, you know, for the equipment to start the, 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 the business. If you're going to buy rental properties, you need to start a separate rental property fund to begin putting down payments on properties. So start with the end of mind. Yeah, I think it's great advice. You, you know, I, I don't think you can really get started if you have debt and you don't have an emergency fund. And I mean, that's where it all starts, right? Well, the frustrating thing is that the, the debt, debt's just going to be this, uh, you know, this sandpaper, this friction. And a lot of, even though your goal is to, is to get started and people are like, man, I got this debt, but I just want to get started. Y you can't, you can't have friction, uh, when you're working toward your goals. If you're moving fast, 
worrying about the bills that you're paying from mistakes you made six years ago. You know, <laughs> you, you go buy a hamburger six years ago on a credit card and you're still paying for it. That's that's uh, friction. You just got to comes a thirty five dollar hamburger instead of a five dollar hamburger. That's a sweet hamburger, man. Even a five dollar hamburger is a sweet hamburger to me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So like thirty five hamburger but amortized over thirty years. No. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> so you you mentioned the fire community and and kind of that movement. And since you're a young millennial, I, I kind of want to dive in and, and nice. what's, your, what's your take you on it? Me, did you just call I me? I did. I did. I love you. Yeah, man. Joe, yeah. you like retired before your 40s. I mean, come on. <laughs> I love I love the fire movement because I think that anytime people are talking about, you know, so and, and not to cut off my own thought, which I do constantly, but 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 thinking about, you know, just my career in the 90s when I started, it was all about how do I make sure that 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 um, doors and credit don't kill us too much. And still yet, the way that we talked about money in the 90s and the early 2000s, it was always still the stores are in charge, but we have to be defensive. You know, we, we have to be, we have to be on the lookout to make sure they don't, consumerism doesn't overtake us too much. But this idea that people like Pete, Mr. Money Mustache and, and, uh, our friends at the Choose FI podcast, I love those guys or anybody in that movement. The fact that that has been completely flipped, Vicky Robin flipped so that now I'm not worried at all about consumerism. How much of this crap do I let in my life? Cause it has nothing to do with me. I think is a huge, hugely powerful recreation of the American dream and the American dream being, I'm not worried at all about consumerism. I'm worried about me. And then I decide what I buy and how this actually fits is an exciting movement that no matter where you're at, whether you're starting out or you're that once again, the person who wants to retire at 60, just changing that argument so that you're in charge is uh, is super exciting, and and I think um, I think more people need to hear it. I'm I get sad because even though it's growing so fast, I don't think it's growing fast enough. I mean, in in our universe, you and I, it's what we hear every day, right? We're hearing this talk all the time, but we have to remember we're less than one half of one percent of the population when you look at all the money nerds out there. So more people need to need to feel this excitement because I think once you do, you, you don't go back. Yeah, since we're so entrenched in it, sometimes you think, gosh, how like I don't understand how people are making decisions that don't, you know, back that up or smart financial decisions. But it's just the fact there's a lot of people out there that don't listen to it. They're not aware, you know, or, or they're just starting, you know, and that's fine, too. They'll get there. Yeah. And the fact, Clark, that we're so enveloped in it that we we hear all the inside noise. I don't want to let I don't want to let some of the, the the inside noise kill the movement either. The, the, there's too many times I think people are you know I've got the same problems the movement everybody has. People are super militant. If you don't if you don't have financial independence my way, then you're an idiot. You know, right? right. I think we got to be a little more accommodating. Um, but listen, those are picking it leaves. You know. Besides that, I think you need five million dollars to retire and fire is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, right. I'm trying to help your podcast blow up here. <laughs> Shoot, we're going to have to edit that out now. Help it go viral. A legitimate right? follow-up to that, though. Is it necessary to probably be at a seven-figure net worth with a paid-for house or close to paid-for house to be able to kind of at least provide the necessities no matter where you live in the country? 
Well, in this, yes, absolutely. I mean, let's just do the math on that. If you have a million dollars, and and by the way, uh, Grant Cardone did a video on this, which is, if, if you know Grant Cardone, that guy, uh, he must either drink seven cups of coffee or he's just go, go, go all the time. But, but he talks about how if you have a million dollars, you really don't have a lot of money. And and it's funny because we still talk about a million dollars as if it's a ton of money. A million dollars using the 4% rule means that you can live on $40,000 a year. Now, don't get me wrong. You can live on $40,000 a year, but you're not a baller, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. You're not staying at the Ritz, man. Yeah. So, so 2 million is 80,000 a year using the 4% rule. Uh, if you want to live a hundred thousand dollar lifestyle, you need two and a half million dollars to get there. And so even though Susie was, and, and for people that hadn't heard that, I was quoting Susie Orman saying you need $5 million, even though I think that number's way too big. I do think people that retire at age 30, with a million dollars thinking they're going to live on that their whole life. I think it's kind of dangerous. I do think it's dangerous just because I'm a guy who's 50, not to give away my age, but, but I'm a dude who's 50 and my millennial, my, a 50 year old my, millennial, I'm a 50 year old millennial. My, <laughs> my, my goals have changed. My feelings about spending have changed over my life. And I was a financial plan, you know, 16 years isn't forever. But during that time I'd work with people long enough to see their feelings change. And when you say at age 30, I feel a certain way and I'm going to feel that forever and I'm going to lock it in by not, not saving any more money starting at 30. I just think you're locking stuff in way too soon. I just think you're, you know, give yourself an opportunity for some flexibility, uh, which is why I like, you know, Brandon, the mad scientist, I'm bringing up all these names. I'm sorry, but no, that's uh, great. Okay. Uh, uh, this, this guy is a great thinker and I love when I talked to him, he said, and he's a guy that stopped working early, but he still works and he still makes money because his whole goal was just flexibility and he still is saving. He stills put money away. He's just doing it now on his terms and, you know, not, not having to bow down to the man that he doesn't really respect. I really like that type of financial independence. That's really cool to me. Yeah, I, I listened to, uh, gosh, I can't even remember, so it's bad to quote somebody. You don't even remember where it came from. But instead of financial independence, retire early, they they changed retire to refocus. Yeah. And they said, you know, I don't know that it's full retirement, right? Because a lot of these people aren't just saying, hey, I have 1.2, I have 1.5 or 2 million or whatever the number is, and I'm done, right? <laughs> Usually, they move on to something else, and, and they're just kind of refocusing, reshifting from their day job to, to maybe something else they'd rather focus on or spend their time with. We had a woman on our show say something very similar. She said, there's nothing wrong with a life well worked. Like, there is nothing wrong with a life well worked. And I love that because I'm a guy that – I found a way to do what I love to do. And if I can do this forever, if I'm like Don Imus where I'm hooked up to an uh, uh, oxygen tank and I'm still putting out a show three days a week – like that's great for me. I feel bad for our listeners, but it's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> awesome for me. They'll still probably like it, you know. I'm 94 years old and bringing it and somebody's got to wheel me to the mic. That that's is awesome. Killer. That'll get you more. <laughs> right. So, we talked mo- about money a lot more recently, right? In the last 5 years or or even maybe even less than 5, right? Money and finances have been more of a topic in in people saying, "Hey, this is my net worth or this is how I invest or and I feel like in, you know, our parents' generations and that wasn't talked about, 
right? It was it was kind of ho hum, and if people had a lot of money, maybe they're viewed as you know evil in a sense or bad. Or how is that transition happening where people are more open now to talk about their money and finances? I don't know about the bigger picture about why that's the case. Maybe it's media. Maybe it's how quickly ideas can spread, but because of the fact that we uh, that we have the internet. I do think this, though, I think this is part of a trend that I'm afraid is going to change because this will be if if the market rumblings happening now end up being a downturn. If if that ends up being the case, this will be the third one that 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 I've lived through in my professional life. And every time the discussions about money get bigger and bigger as as the good stuff continues. So as Mm. the market gets toward a peak. A lot of people want to talk about it because, hey, this has been fun. It's been easy. It's been great. And then in the year 2000, the year 2000, end of 2007 into 2008, and then, you know, who knows, maybe now, I saw financial media just evaporate. Like it just got to so bad that people didn't want to talk about it anymore. You know, and then I felt like in 2008, 2009, well, we saw people, we saw Clark Howard go off, go off the air. We saw Jim Cramer for a while. His media exposure went down. Uh, We saw, we saw the Money Magazine, Smart Money, Worth Magazine in the years following 2007, 2008. Those go away. A couple of them went online and others just disappeared. So I think that, uh, I think we have the cycle of as things are easy, it gets easier for financial media and more people talking about it. And then the downturn hits and people just shut up because everybody goes through the same emotional cycle that we shouldn't go through. And it's funny because isn't it true that the, the time of most duress, like the time when we're most despondent about our money is the time of greatest opportunity. Like that, that is when there is so much that we could capture but we're so busy selling all the crap we own and giving up <laughs> that we don't recognize it. And we also don't recognize – I remember there's one part of my career, point in my career, when uh, gold was going through the roof. And I remember I'm sitting at my gym after a workout and these two yahoos next to me are talking about gold. And these are guys that I sat next to every day. And he's talking about his brother-in-law and and gold and how how he was buying uh gold bullion through him and i it was ridiculous and that's when i realized that gold was about to crash because you know you saw the same thing with bitcoin back in january everybody talking about it this whole fear missing out i feel like dr phil now like how's that working for you oh man that was crazy And, and and not that that's not the future I think it probably is the future. I think, you know, digital currency, I think it is the future. I think this romantic idea of no government intervention that we had in the beginning is uh, hilarious now, especially since we have the SEC on one side saying uh, that, that it's not an investment and the IRS on the other side ruling that it's not legal tender. So wait a minute. The SEC says it's money and the IRS says it's not money. We have two government agencies saying that that digital currency is something other than it is, and we think there's going to be no government intervention. It's coming. Yeah. Whether you want it or not, they're going to rule one way or the other. So that brings up a good, interesting topic and question. How do you navigate all the media and all the negative news and positive news and, you know, Bitcoin this and what's the new hot thing this and the blockchain this and the blockchain that? How do you? As an average person trying to go about your day, how do you how do you navigate all that? 
I had a, that's a great question because I think everybody has that problem. One of my favorite things to do is to turn on Fox business or CNBC and watch the interviews for a while, but do it with this lens, Jace, do it with this lens, watch the nature of the story and then who the guest is. Growth funds going through the roof right now. Uh, uh, growth is poised to do X, Y, Z today uh, or, or this next year. Coming up is our guest from the Fidelity Contra Fund. <laughs> and, and Fidelity, and I'm not ripping Fidelity because I think they're a very responsible company, but every company has a PR firm. They send CNBC uh, a, a title. CNBC buys it because they need to have hot stuff on their show that people watch. And so if something says gold's going up, I bet there's going to be a gold expert who's going to tell me gold's gold's going up. Interest rates are going up now, which isn't great for bonds. You're going to have a bond expert coming on telling you this isn't the end of the world and you should probably put money in bonds. You see, you see where I'm going. Yeah, they're catering to how it's going. Totally. Yeah. And so once you apply that filter, though, it's easier to watch the segment. And to discount stuff. And then you start seeing the forest instead of the individual trees. But the better way, and I think the more complete answer is, is if you also have that end in mind, you know that whether growth is good or not right now, if I'm in a growth oriented index fund and my goal is 30 years away, that's a great place to be, right? If I'm in bonds and my goal is 30 play, 30 years away, I'm in a crappy place. So if I start with the end of mine and I know what investments historically have done that, then I can start watching these interviews and then apply a filter. But, th- but that, see, but that's the hard part. The hard part is nobody knows where they're going. Nobody has any clue where they're going, which is why I love, well, not to pander too much to my host, but that's why I love what you guys do. Cause you're talking to a bunch of people who know where they're going and you always see that in your interviews. I think you guys always get people who say, listen, I did X, Y, Z, but it always started with, I had this end that I was trying to achieve. And then I did these things. And it's funny because some of the people that you interview, it sounds like they got lucky, but I don't think you get lucky until you kind of know where you're going. And, and at some point in my career, there've been times when I stumbled onto brilliance, you know, (laughs) but you can't, you can't recognize it unless you know where you're going, which brings up my favorite financial technique of all, which is automation. It is totally automation because I can't be focused on saving money. I can't be focused on these little things and catch the big stuff. Like my goal is to figure out where the brilliance is. And if I'm worried about the day-to-day savings or getting my bills paid on time or anything that can be automated, my head's too far down for me to see the horizon. So, uh, automation for people I work with that were multi, multi millionaires, those people automated everything. Just your goal is to be not, not busy, but focused on the right stuff. With that, what are some of the things of, of the multi millionaires that you worked with? What are some of the lessons that, that our listeners and that all of us can learn from? You know, we obviously don't all of us have the opportunity to kind of see the insights that you did back when you were a financial advisor and maybe even now from the show and the guests that you've been around and the people you've been around since starting the show. Well, to circle back to your earlier question, Jace, from the beginning of the show, the smartest, the smartest people I knew, whether they work with me or somebody else, they had advisors. Like this idea that you romantically ride up on your horse with nobody else and are super great is 
exactly that. I mean, it's a myth. Smart people have advisors. Smart people don't go on an internet forum and ask strangers, hey, I've got this 401k plan. I'm not sure if it's good or not. And Bob in Peoria gets to, who has an opinion, gets to tell me what to do with my 401k. And I don't know crap about Bob. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Rich people don't do that. Rich people find people who have been there who know their situation, who understand what they're trying to go through and are comfortable ripping them. And they have those people in their corner. And I, you know, sitting in on some of these family meetings with, uh, with their CPA, with me, with their estate attorney, with their business attorney, we're all in there. My job was to be the holistic guy for some of these, these, um, these families, the fights that would happen behind the scenes of advisors going, no, 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 from a tax perspective, we got to do this. And the other person go from, well, from a legal perspective, how do we do this? Yeah. And the business, the business owner, the, 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 the patriarch or matriarch of the family is sitting back and the advisors are going back and forth. And finally that person hears it all and then gets to make a very informed decision about how to proceed when they have these really smart people around them. So you can't surround yourself with salesmen, saleswomen. You can't surround yourself with hucksters. But, but you got to have some smart people you're talking to. You have to. I think that's, th that is the one common glue I see of really successful people. Uh, at the very least, they have incredibly successful friends that they bounce stuff off of. They have a mastermind, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, I mean, that's what I was going to say is we interview these millionaires more and more, and especially those with higher net worths have either a mastermind or a mentor or a coach or, you know, even if it's not a paid coach or a financial advisor or a financial planner, they're having the discussions with friends. Yeah. And if they're not paying someone to do it, they have a group of people who are, you know, smart and they understand it and they bounce ideas off each other and they're constantly trying to learn from each other. I've had the same coach for 20 years. I'm in two masterminds, one specifically based on podcasts. They're some of the smartest podcasters I've, I've known and one based on my business ventures. Uh, and these are some of the smartest business people that I know. My coach, by the way, and this is kind of case in point, not that I do everything perfectly. My coach is someone that my wife likes, but does not like hanging out with. And I don't really like hanging out with because she looks at the world completely differently than I do. She is nothing like me, which is why I love having her in my corner because she always finds my blind spot, which is so it's my meetings with Mary Lou are so good, but, but it's funny, you know, if, if, if I ever said to Cheryl, my spouse, Hey, Mary Lou wants to go to dinner. Cheryl will go, Oh, Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> How did you find Mary Lou? <laughs> she, she was somebody that some of my clients used as an advisor and, uh, as just a, just a, a, a quote life coach, but she focuses on, she works like a life coach, but she focuses on your business. And, mm. uh, so smart people in the Detroit area back when I was there, she, um, she worked with them and I interviewed her and she was, she was fun. I can't, I don't know how to describe her without making it sound like I'm ripping her. Cause I'm not, she is fun and mean and, uh, awesome <laughs> and, and driven and, kind <laughs> just how do and she gives you a different perspective she gives me a totally different perspective and i think we need those people in our life to be successful yeah yeah i agree so before we wrap up here i just want to ask right in, in all the times you've been doing interviews and as as a financial advisor what are the biggest mistakes i know you had a recent episode about mistakes of the middle class and and maybe dive into those what are some of the biggest mistakes you see people make financially i think it's 
man, that's, that's a tough question because there's so many ways to mess up. But I think the biggest one that we see over and over is, uh, and maybe it's because I'm fascinated by this area, but I think it probably is the biggest mistake is the behavioral aspects. It's, it's, we, we let our emotions rule instead of the facts. We, we don't get enough data and instead we make this completely emotional decision, which is why when I was a financial planner, I would encourage my clients to look at the world, look at their personal world as if that was a business too. You know, a lot of us run businesses that listen to this show. But if you think about your personal situation as if it's a business, you make much better decisions and you get rid of because people will go to work and they'll make these awesome decisions with money for somebody else, right? Somebody else is getting rich off your ideas. And then you come home at the end of the day and you get all emotional about your own stuff. Like, what if you did that at work? You tell your boss, you're like, no, I really feel like this credit card bill at 3%, I need to pay off before I, I get, I get, no, no, you wouldn't make that decision if it were at work. Cause that doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't matter how you feel. I mean, it does, but you get my point. So Getting rid of the the bad behavior beats uh, everything else, which leads to some of the fallacies that I see. Low-cost investing is great. I'm going to piss people off now. You ready? Yes. Let's do it. We need let's, some controversy on here, you know? Let's wreck the show. <laughs> low-cost investing Low-cost investing is is fine. It's sexy to write about on the internet. That's not your biggest flipping dragon. It is not. It is. People are like, oh, well, well, lower your fees. Well, great. You can lower your fee forever, but you haven't saved a dime. I see these professors that know everything about the lowest cost investment. And I'm the guy that got to look at their net worth page. They haven't saved. They haven't saved any money. It is, it is absolutely horrible. I'm sorry. You might bleep that out. That's all right. But it always frustrates me when I see people going, well, low fee, low fee, low fee. Well, you know what? You can't shrink your way to greatness, pal. You can't do it. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes you got to pay a fee to get great stuff. I shop, shock, I shop at Nordstrom. I don't buy very many clothes, but when I do, I don't want them to suck. (laughs) And don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that Vanguard funds suck. Vanguard funds don't suck. But what's funny is the Vanguard CEO even said this a couple weeks ago in a piece. He said, the future of advice is human. And online, I see these idiots say, well, fire your advisor and move to Vanguard. Well, the Vanguard CEO doesn't say to do that. The Vanguard CEO says, keep your fees in check and find a great advisor. Yeah. Pow. It's so, so, oh, the fee thing drives me crazy. Well, and you're seeing that with these Fidelity zero, you know, zero fee index funds, right? They just came out with two. Isn't that great? So. <laughs> it's, isn't that, isn't that just great? Like the race to the bottom has finally reached the bottom. Yeah. Pretty, pretty soon we're going to find some third party, like, you know, uh, iShares now is going to give you 10 bucks to put money yeah, in. They're going to pay you to it's put exactly it in. exactly what's going to happen. You're going to get the cash back just like all the credit card companies have tried to do. <laughs> we'll, take the, we'll take the fee from the retailer and then we'll give it back to you on the back end. And, oh, geez. We lose money on every client, but we make it up in volume. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go figure that one. Joe, where can people find you and find the show? You can find Stacking Benjamins here where you're listening to your show. By the way, thanks for having me, guys. Three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. If you learn anything, you have to keep it to yourself, though. <laughs> yeah, That's it's way awesome. too serious on that show, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, good stuff. We've had Joe from Stacking Benjamins. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Joe. 
Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Jace Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.